0: Your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we are. We are looking at verses 2 through 16, and this day we will conclude verses 13 through 16. This is really good stuff. Uh, the, the frustrating part about this text is um, God is just. Uh, where he sandwiched it in the method that I teach, I'm going to lose the sandwich effect, but I'm going to bring it back to you as we because you're going to deal with the freedom of that we have in Christ and how freedom should not master us. Then you deal with God's design, the roles of men and women, and then right after that is the Lord's table. Okay, and I'll let you ponder that for a few minutes, because or a few weeks, because if you think about that, where that lies in the flow of what he's doing, because in chapter twelve, everybody knows where he starts. I don't want you to be stupid about spiritual gifts. Okay, why? Because God had a design. You are free in Christ, and you commune with the everlasting God. I just I don't know. It's just something kind of came to me and I just going, boy, this would be like really cool if you could just teach this in one sitting. But it'd be a very long sitting. Okay, let's read the scriptures and ask the Lord to teach us. Beginning in verse 3, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. And every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one in the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if... It is, a disgrace, it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since his, he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is glory to her for her hair is given to her as a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. Lord, we come to seek you on this. We come to seek your wisdom, your ways, father, Help us to understand. Enable us to embrace this. Enable us to make this a part of who we are. And Father, just uh, teach us. Father, mold us. You are the potter. We are the clay. Have thine own way. To you, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Creator. Christ's name. Amen. We are concluding this. Part that I have entitled on your outline, God's Design. Um, and the reason is, is that this church had some problems, this church in Corinth. And I believe that if you are honest with yourself, you can look around and see that the church in America today is much like the Corinthian church. Uh, and I, what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the dudas. I'm not talking about uh, the people who are out there who don't really have a clue who Jesus is. What I'm talking about are the evangelicals, those who profess Christ, those who believe the Bible is, is the authoritative word of God. And what has happened is, is that we have allowed our culture to affect us instead of us affecting our culture. We are bringing our thinking, our operating systems, we are bringing our ways of dealing with situations, with uh, relationships, with our planning and our attitudes and our actions, we are bringing them into the body of Christ and we are trying to make them function. And that was what was hurting the church in Corinth. Because they had things... That were cultural. That were societal. And they were trying to bring them in and blend them. In some ways that's okay. People ask me about this text. Is this a cultural text? Yes. Absolutely. But I can take any epistle in the New Testament and say it's cultural. Why? Each letter in the New Testament is dealing with a specific issue. That was specific to the church in Ephesus. To the church in Rome, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, absolutely. But here's the key, here's what's so amazing, here's what shows me that this book is not the mere doodlings of men. They deal with specific issues, and yet they are universal truths. You don't shift them, okay? You don't, uh, when we spoke, I shared this this morning, you don't edit Scripture, you don't edit scripture. Um, Here's here's a for instance. Our denomination says that elders were cultural. Were cultural. Because the Jews always had elders. They were the rulers. They'd be in a city. Uh, They were the people who were in the know. Okay? And therefore, our denomination says that that was Cultural. Well, that's cool, except for one problem. The two letters that deal with the office of elder were written one to a Gentile, one to a half Jew. Both were establishing the bride of Christ in Gentile areas on the island of Crete and the city of Ephesus. So if we're going to say it's cultural only to the Jewish people, then Jewish congregations should have elders and Gentile congregations should have what? See what we just did? Is it a universal truth? Yes, absolutely. It's a universal truth. When I look at this text... I see a universal truth. Do I see something in here that had a cultural emphasis to it? Absolutely. Yes, yes. But the problem is, when do I allow the world to influence me? Because I am in this world, but I am not of this world. When do I allow it? Okay, that's a societal norm. Um, Let me give you a hot topic today. Roe versus Wade. Abortion rights. Let me explain something to you. That's the law. That's the law of the land. And I know all the implications that are devised in it, but I wasn't saved in 1973, and I wonder why the church was so quiet in 1973 when it happened. Okay, now we want to be noisy about it. All right, what do you expect from fallen man? These are things that we have to pay attention to. The culture is there. You know what? We can stop abortion. We can stop it right away. Share the gospel. Okay? And if you have to, use words. Have a life that everybody wants what you've got. Even if they have an illegitimate pregnancy, that they still want what you have. Um, I know a pastor friend of mine whose daughter uh, became... um, Pregnant out of wedlock and uh, he was crushed he was a a, a traveling pastor and he shared and it just crushed him he didn't know what to do and he thought oh my god this is awful Uh, and his, his daughter was in defiance and in the process of that illegitimate pregnancy she came to salvation and he adopted the child no he didn't take it as a granddaughter he took it as a Son, and is raising the child in the truths of Jesus Christ. Okay, so his daughter would not have the burden of trying to care for that child and continue in her life and get her life on track. How cool is that? Okay, what would have been promoted as this awful, shameful situation? God said, Watch my glory. What happens in the church? Too many times we allow awful situations to become. He's laid it out here. I gave you five points of God's design, what God does. The design is stated in verse 3. Very simplistic statement. I want you to understand. Okay? I like that because he comes out of verse 2 and he says, I praise you, which is interesting. Okay? I praise you because look what he says in verse 17. But in giving you this praise, I do, or this instruction, I do not praise you. <laughs> and if you read the letter in its entirety, you'll find out that praises were slim in the church in Corinth. Okay? But he says, I do praise you. Why? You asked me on this. You are teachable on this. Normally, when a person asks pastoral counsel, they are teachable. They want to know what does the Lord say normally. Okay, but he says, you know, you hold to what I have given you, so here's what it is. Here is the design. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and that a man is the head of the woman, and that God is the head of Christ. That's the design. Basic, simple design authority and submission. Look everywhere around you. It exists. Whether people will acknowledge God or not, it exists. It's everywhere. About every aspect of your life, there is the role of authority and submission. And that's what it is. is, He's he's laying it out here. Do we have freedom? Yes. But be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's verse 1, chapter 11. Okay. How important is this? Well, I want to give you this one God is the head of Christ. Had Christ not taken the position, the role of submission to God, how would you have gotten saved? You can't. If God does not submit, or if Jesus Christ does not submit to God's plan for redemption, we don't get redeemed. Okay? So we don't want to get rid of that one, do we? And we like it when we can say that Christ is the head of every man. Absolutely. Right? We agree. I, you know, I, I get tickled with that because we've propagated accountability. Mentoring or apprenticeship or whatever you want to call it. I don't think they call it apprenticeship anymore, do they? Uh, anyway. But mentoring, and you have to have this accountability groups and stuff like that. Listen, I'm not against that. But are you going to live with them people? Okay? Okay. Do you have accountability? Yeah. Who is your head? Men? Christ. When? Sundays. Sunday morning, not at the Bronco game, but Sunday morning he No! You are accountable when? All the time. Not only that, he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Alright, so we always have this, but then it says that man is the head of what? Woman. Now, that there will just get you in trouble today, won't it? You don't even have to expound that. Well, that'll get you in trouble. Why? Because in women, I'm telling you. Why. what. Does it, what are the qualifiers for a man to be the head of a woman? There aren't any. And yet, women have this thing that came out of the curse, and I'm going to say this as gently as I can that they will have a desire for their husband. Now, I've heard this described that women will have this love for their husbands, and their husbands can never make them feel loved. And I heard it described that way. And I'm sitting there going, so to love somebody is a curse. Okay? That's what you're saying? No. The desire in the Hebrew language is to assert the authority. I didn't write it. Okay? And women have a desire to rule, don't they? Okay, my wife agrees. She's looked at my notes and she says, I have to agree to this. Okay, just kidding. All right, so when we look at that, we ask ourselves, well, yeah, I agree, Men, some men don't take the role. Okay, it does not mean they're innocent of it. Okay, they'll just be judged by it. it isn't, I don't have a problem with that. If they don't want to do it, don't do it. Okay? So he's laid it out there and he wants it to be understood. Four through six, he says, how does, this, how does this design apply? And he uses what I call the only two dimensions of ministry that exist. There are only two dimensions of ministry. Service, praying and prophesying. Praying is the vertical dimension. Okay. Prophesying is the horizontal dimension. Praying is me to God. Prophesying is speaking, speaking the truth of God. That's why we've got to be real careful when we are sharing or counseling and things like that. We need to make the people who we are sharing the gospel with understand that the authority behind which I speak is not my opinion. It is my Lord. And we have to be real careful with that one. Why? Because I can walk away and say I not I I don't. I don't buy that. Okay. So you, you see what I, I find fascinating in this text? Because some people just butcher this thing. Is who does the praying and prophesying? Men and women do the praying and the prophesying. Okay, but they are to be in their roles. That does not negate their roles. So please understand that. And I shared with that. You can get the tape, CD, whatever you're interested in. 7 through 10, he defends God's plan. A man should not have his head covered. This hasn't got a hat in it. I'm sorry. A lot of people want hats. Uh, I've checked this out in original language. It has to do with veils. I don't want to see men in veils. He doesn't want them veiled. Understand That's what he's saying. The culture of the time said a woman in submission was... Wore a hat. It would sort of be like me wearing an Easter bonnet. Okay? If I put on an Easter bonnet, everybody would say, hmm. Wouldn't they? And they would be more concerned with the Easter bonnet than probably what the man was saying. Same thing. Okay? There is a cultural thing. Listen, let me ask you a question. If a woman in America today, you know she's submitted because she wears a veil? No. You know, she's Arab and you don't want to ride with them on an airplane. Not just kidding. All right, but do you see what I'm getting at? No, they don't wear a veil, but they do have... You can look in our society today and see people's attire that shows a life that is submitted or a life that is rebellious. Can you not? Can you not? I can see it. It's all over the place. One of the fascinating things when I was in London, England, was all the men wear suits. I'm talking three-piece suit ties Everywhere. Everywhere. Everybody's wearing. the only ones who don't are like the garbage collectors and they're, uh, you know, the the city guys who are you don't see a guy running a jackhammer hard hat in a suit and tie. But the guys, you see everybody and you go to a uh, they have these little convenience stores that has um, everything in it. I mean, you can get everything from uh, an iron to candy and the guy behind the counter running a cash register is wearing a suit and tie. And it's just fascinating to me. But it's a cultural thing. I understand that. You see these guys who deliver, they, they have them little, I don't know, it's not a motorcycle. Uh, it's a scooter looking thing. And they're the delivery people. And they have a big old stack of packages on the back. And the guy jumps off, he's got his helmet on, a little radio thing stuck in his helmet. He's wearing a suit and tie. And it just, I just sit there and go, no wonder I look like a tourist. You get on the, the tube, they call it. Everybody that's going to work is wearing a suit and tie. And then all of a sudden, you come around the corner, and some guy's got his hair stuck straight up like this, and he's got all this jewelry hanging off of paces in his face that he doesn't have places to hang it. And you say, I think the dude is rebellious. What do you think? Huh? So, I mean, it, it, it's not that complicated. Same thing in our society today. You see it all over the place. Okay? 11 and 12, He gives us the harmony, the balance of this. Why? We need to understand that we're not independent. We're not independent. Well, it's the man's responsibility to pray and prophesy. That ain't what the Bible teaches. Okay? It says you have your roles. Stay in your roles and watch God work. Why? This is practical for us today. If I want to be used by God, why would I not stay in the role that God designed me to be? See what we do? We pervert what God has already designed. You can't do that. You just can't do that. I see a lot of people want to do it. I'm going to do it my way. Well, what's the difference between that and making a golden calf? There isn't. I mean, it's still the same God, but it is still blasphemous to God. So I stay in my role that God has designed, but I'm not independent. Listen, the body of Christ needs women. The body of Christ needs men. Period. And what is amazing about us today is that we, you and I who are gathered here today, we are not independent of each other. I don't care what you do. You, if you leave this place and you think it doesn't affect this place, you're a fool. But you know what's scary about it? People can walk away from the bride of Christ and it not affect them. That's something that's scary to me. And I'll deal with that in the weeks to come. It comes up. He deals with it. Okay. I just want to point it out to you quickly. All right. Um, verse 18. No. Verse 19. Factions. If you're Southern Baptist, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, God builds a church by multiplication. Southern Baptists do it by division. Okay, Factions, he says. There must also be factions among you. That's what it says, right? People who divide, schisms. Why? That's what the Word of God says. There must be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. There are some implications there that are massive. Why? Look where he's just coming out of. He's coming out of people who have perverted their freedom into sexual immorality. How do you do that? I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Okay? But you will see that people took the love feast and the Lord's table, all de- delineate between the two, and it became a time to get to party. And I mean party in the pagan sense. And they were taking the two and he sticks right in the middle of it. Let me explain to you something about God's design, the role of authority and the role of submission. That's fascinating to me. Amazing stuff. But he says there will always be factions. There will be people who will be divisive, quarrelers, grumblers. Not even, not even that. We looked at it last week in our study. That there in the end times it will become difficult. Why? Because men will be lovers of themselves. I love Charles Virgin. That's the sewer pipe that the rest pours out of. You're like, ooh, chuck. Having a bad day, were you? Alright, do you see what I'm trying to get at? He lays it out. Why? Because when a person is divisive, they identify themselves. I tell you who I am. Interesting thought, isn't it? If you think about that we're not independent of each other, then what is a divisive person? I mean, if the Apostle Paul will tell me that I'll give up eating meat for the sake of a saint. What would a divisive person say? And he says, but in that faction, you see, you will know who is approved. Now, I'm not going to let you know what that means. So you have to keep coming back. All right. What does it mean to be approved? All right. And I'm just food for thought. Because he says, "I have this design, and now I want you to respond to it." Verses thirteen through sixteen. Look what he says. Judge for yourself. I like this. Literally, the the syntax of this text. I know what he. What? Nothing. The way it's laid out in the original language. It says this. Judge in yourselves. Okay? Judge in yourselves. Um, Make a decision, Paul says. You think about this. You, in light of this information, come to a conclusion. It's written in the emphatic form and he's basically saying, do it yourself. You don't need me to give you the answer to this. Okay? Just think it through in your own mind. Make your judgment. Remember what he said in chapter 1? That your judgments would all be one. And he's saying, in light of what I've given you and the power of God, and you've asked me for this counsel, this is not a difficult decision. Okay? What is he talking about? The role of a man and woman. Then he says this Is it proper? Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Again, what is he talking about? He's talking about a veil. Should a woman pray without a veil on? I've said in in this chapter, in verses 2 through 12, and I have pointed out to you uh, your culture, your society and what it says it is, and what the norm is. God has maintained these roles, this design that He came up with. He designed it. You tell me, make a decision here. Should a woman pray? Uncovered. Okay, let me give it to you in a vernacular for today. Should a woman... Should a woman pray to God who is not in the position of submission? That's what Paul's saying. She's not taken a symbol of authority over her should she pray to God. See what he's saying? That's cool. Okay. The hair, yeah, I'll deal with the hair. We're not there yet. The question is this. In the society of court, a modest woman subjected to her husband and or her father would be veiled in modesty. I don't want to bring attention to, to me. I would be a modest person. Okay. The harlot's or those who would be uh, what you would know as the women's lib movement, would unveil themselves and have their heads literally shaved. Okay? In some cases. You see that today? i seen a woman the other day who looked like she just got out of Marine Corps boot camp. And from the back, I wasn't sure. When she turned around, I thought, oh my God. Okay? And my first response was... Perhaps it's chemotherapy. And then it dawned on me that chemo doesn't flat top it on the top. Um, And I just, well, hi, how are you? Okay. Um, But it's stuff like that. What is the norm of our society? You tell me, you make a judgment. Look what verse, is it proper for a woman to pray? Then, look at what he says in verse 14. Okay. He doesn't give the answer. You notice that? <clears throat> doesn't get the answer. Verse 14, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Stop right there. The word nature there is fish. It's P-H-Y-S-I-S. Okay? It's translated either nature or instinct. Okay? And I was wrestling with this. Which one is he using? Because the New American Standard here says it's nature. But as I looked at this text and I understand the flow of the book, which one is he using? Is he using instinct or is he using nature? And I have come to this conclusion. Yes. Instinct and nature says that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor. Okay, let me show you how this works. Nature shows the roles. Does it not? Does it not nature Show the roles of man and woman. There's something in nature. There's something in physical creation. The physiology of humanity. The human anatomy. That should teach us that men are to have short hair. And that women are to have long hair. Okay? It's natural. It's physiological. Okay? Listen. The length of your hair does not make you spiritual. Okay? Please, I want to give you that qualifier right up front because the guys all run out and get their head shaved and says, I'm a spiritual giant. No, you're bald as a jaybird. But anyway, you don't wear your spirituality on your head, okay? Women, if you think that I grow my hair down to my feet, then I'll look like what? You'll look like somebody who sits on their hair on a regular basis, okay? Nature teaches, okay? Let's use that one first, all right? I, I, did some work, I, I did some stuff in science. Now, I, I want to give a qualifier here. Science changes, okay? Scripture doesn't. But I just did some stuff on science. And one of the things I found, well, is that there are three cycles, three phases of hair growth in humans. One is the formation growth of new hair. That's the number one phase. The second phase is a resting phase where the hair just maintains itself. And then the third stage is when it falls out, Okay? You will always go through this. You always have these cycles, and it goes over and over and over again, okay? But there is an interesting phenomenon happens, okay? Have we ever heard of testosterone? Testosterone takes the three phases. This is a male hormone, and it speeds it up. So it goes from new hair, its production... Resting fallout, new hair production, resting fallout, and it just speeds up the process. So men will quickly move from phase one to phase three. Quickly, very quickly. <clears throat> Here's what Aristotle said. Okay, now here, and then I'll tell you what Terry says. Aristotle says, "I've never seen quote I've never seen a bald child, eunuch, or a woman." Unquote. Okay, I've never seen a bald child, a eunuch or a woman. Okay, I've never seen a bald eunuch. I've never seen a bald um, child and I've never seen a bald woman. Terry says it this way. I've never seen a woman with a comb over. Okay, I haven't. I I haven't, haven't seen one. I'll keep looking. So if testosterone is speeding this up, It's hurrying it to step two, where step two, how much growth do you have? None. The hair maintains itself. Then it hurries it on past the step three, which is, see you later, hair. Okay? All right? Here's another interesting phenomenon. Estrogen. Estrogen. Do you know what estrogen does? It causes the hair cycles to remain at step one. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. How much estrogen does a man have? Ask Al. <laughs> Al says, I haven't got any. <laughs> I haven't got one. I ain't got one hormone of estrogen. <laughs> if you don't believe me, I'm in step three in resting. Okay? All right? So for a female, if she has estrogen, her hair grows faster. And it grows longer than any man's. Okay? As a woman gets into her late ages when she will not re- have the reproductive capacities, her hair growth does what? Slows drastically, doesn't it? Okay? But it never gets to the point of stage three where it just falls out and leaves and says, bye. Does it? Okay? If you take a man and a woman, science says, And you say from this point on, you cut their hair same length, this point on, never touch your hair, don't cut your hair ever again. Whose will grow? The woman's will. How long will the woman's grow? I don't know what the length is. I have seen women who have had hair down to below their calves. Okay. I've never seen a man over mid-back. Ever over mid back, okay. Now, back in my rebellious days, uh, I could never get mine to get past my shoulder blades, okay. No matter what I did. All right. Why is that? Does not nature teach you? Does not nature say a man's hair is shorter? See, God put it in the human physiology. A man's hair cannot grow as long as a woman's hair. A woman's hair will always outgrow a man's hair. And to give you my perfect opinion, that would be the short and the long of it. There you go. Alright? right. If I use this word as instinct... Instinctive sense of a man as he recognized what he sees in his environment and his society. Okay? That's a, a, a definition of it. I look at it as just plain obvious. Okay? Look around your society, Corinth. Look around your society, Castle Rock Baptist Church. Isn't it obvious that men have shorter hair than women? Huh? It's obvious. Um, you know, I, nature made it so and men agree. Use my illustration. How many women have you seen with a comb over? Let me tell you something. If you have a comb over as a man, are you really arguing with nature? Are you winning the argument? Do <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? Right? Listen, the bulk of history. Listen, I'm not talking about Rob Roy. I'm not talking about, what was that, Braveheart. That's Hollywood. Please understand that's Hollywood. They run around with their golden locks and this and that and the other. That's Hollywood. It's all Hollywood. The Vikings never had long hair. Why? It would get in the way. There's nothing worse than getting grabbed by the your golden lock and somebody cutting your throat. Because they can pull your head where they need it. You're going to go into war. You really want to be maintaining a great flowing mane of hair. Yeah, Kester did. Look what it got him. Massacre. Okay. Length is always different in a man and a woman. It has always been different. If a man had shoulder length hair, how long was the woman's hair? Way longer. Way longer. Roman culture, the writings of the New Testament, if a man had long hair, he was considered, I'll give you this word, it's fun, effeminate. Okay? Let me explain to you. If you don't know what that means, it's not a good thing. Okay? Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, you are a girly boy. Okay? Writers like the philosophers who wrote poetry and everything always liked to ridicule long-haired men. It was fun. It was easy. The early church councils condemned men with long hair. Okay. Paul is saying that the normal human pattern of our society is what? Short and long. Now listen. There's always been rebellions. Okay. Spartans. We all know who the Spartans were. Go tell the Spartans. and all them movies. Great warriors. They had long hair. Okay, um, did they ever succeed in separating from Greece? No. Okay, um, philosophers like to have it. The protesters of society—hmm—sounds like the sixties and seventies, doesn't it? But it, historically, in a broad, in, in the basis of society, instinct says men have. Short hair. Short hair. That's what he's saying here. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, in, in literal terms it says it's dishonor, it means it's disgraceful. Why? He's going against what nature says. He's going against what instinct says. Okay? He's showing that he is rebellious. That's what the Bible says. Okay? And then I get the, you get the one who will step up and say, excuse me, what about the Nazarite vow? Okay. I love that one. Okay. How many Nazarite vows do you see in Scripture? How many? I know how many. Three. 6,000 years of humanity and the Bible speaks of three. Okay. And let me tell you something. If you run into a dude who claims to be a Christian, he's under a Nazarite vow... Ask him if he's got a wife. Because if he does, he's not under a Nazarite vow. Okay? Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you have to deal with that ain't much fun if you're in a Nazarite vow. Okay? The other thing about a Nazarite vow is only for a time. Okay? So, in... This text, what does it mean to me? As I sit here in Castle Rock today, what does it mean to me? I, to you, I have no idea what it means to you. Uh, but I'm fearful that some will run out of here and start measuring their hairs with their spouse. Um, <clears throat> Paul says, God's already designed it. He says, I've already given you the sense of this. You need to look at it. Um, God gave you your hair for a covering. Look at verse 15. But if a woman has long hair, what does it say next? And he says it in a question. Okay? It is phrased in the original language in a question. You know what he's saying? When you see long hair on a woman, isn't it glorious? Doesn't it show who she is? I mean, it shows uh, what they call the feminine side of her, doesn't it? That's what it says. All right. He doesn't have a question. He's saying naturally, instinctively, when you look at that, isn't it? Pretty instinctively, doesn't it? Wow, that's kind of cool. All right. That's what he's, his argument. If a woman has long hair, is it to her glory for her hair is given for a What? doesn't say veil it says it is given for a covering so again Paul is not saying here if a woman is going to pray if a woman is going to prophesy she must be wearing a veil that is not what he's saying he's saying in your culture to show your position in God's design you would wear a veil You would wear a veil. Why? Because you have taken the position that God has designed you. You are in a position of submission. But God has already given you a covering. And in that covering, that is your hair. If you are in a position of submission, then go ahead and pray and prophesy. Pretty cool, really, when you you think about it. Since God wanted you covered, <clears throat> you shouldn't be arguing about wearing a veil. <laughs> I mean, that's the basis of his argument. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be bellyaching about it. If, if that's what your society, your culture says, go ahead and do it. Culture is saying it because God designed it that way. Do you ever think about that? See, it's a universal principle, but it's also a local custom He's not saying, don't pray women or prophesy unless you're wearing a veil. But you do need to have longer hair than a man. Okay, there's nothing wrong with short hair on a woman as long as it's longer than a man. Man, I know there are men out there who have great big old long heads of hair. But you know what? That's between them and God. Let me give you a qualifier on that one. Their length of their hair does not condemn them to hell. Okay? Non-belief in Jesus Christ condemns to hell. Okay? It's interesting because in this passage, um, in, in many places today, women wear hats or veils or scarves. I shared it with you with the, the ladies in, in Russia would wear scars. Those who were married would wear a scarf to show everybody in the congregation that they were in submission to a, a man. The point is, our culture, if ladies, if you wear a hat, a veil, or a scarf, is that a sign of submission? No. Hmm. But in our society, there are some ways that you can dress. That will make you look submissive, uh, modest, uh, make you look like a woman. Okay? Why? I have a position that God has designed for me. God has given a design, it's universal. Okay? Part of that design, the role of authority and submission, part of God's design is your hair's distinctiveness, the man and the woman. Okay, now listen, he's not saying, you know, men, you don't need to run out and look like a Marine. That ain't what is being said here. And I tell you what, I am not here to determine what the length ought to be. I just want us to realize the biblical principle and how does it apply to me as an individual. And each one of you have to decide that. God made them man and woman. God designed them different in their roles and in their... Appearances. When I look at them, you should, when you look at a person, you should be able to look at that person and say, that is a woman. Remember, I remember when I was in construction years and years and years ago, I run into a lady who did flat work, flat concrete. They'd pour concrete and she'd smooth it out and make it all pretty. And from the back, I, I didn't know. But she was big enough that I wasn't going to challenge her on it. <laughs> I ain't walking out here and getting whooped. Okay. So, I mean, you want to be Bubba, <laughs> go. Okay. And, you know, she did great work in concrete. But I thought, well, I bet you got some real smooth hands. Okay. I know what the calcium in concrete does. Okay. Okay. I'm not here to determine what our length of our hair should be, but God designed it and that the roles and the appearances are noted. Okay. We as children of God need to stand in these. We need to abide in these promises. Okay. Paul is saying, telling the Corinthian church over, um, quit arguing over this. Okay. Be unified in this. Um, you know, and I like Paul, man, I love this guy. I'm going to hang with him when I get there. Don't argue all this. And then what the normal response is, I don't see the point. What is the issue? I'm going to leave my hair this way because I just hate getting up every morning and doing and messing with it. And I'm just going to, you know... You don't understand what it's like to take care of your hair. You don't understand what it's like to have curling irons and blow dryers. And you don't understand this and that and the other. And verse 16 is for you. Okay. Why? Paul is like me. I know what human nature is. You know, I remember when I first started attending this church, I had a ponytail. And people said I was having a Nazarite vow. Okay? Yeah, right. What is that? I don't even know how to spell it. Okay? Is that like a consonant? Anyway, verse 16 is for those who say, what's the point? If one is inclined to be contentious. Paul wrote this with someone in mind. Uh, Paul understood humanity. He's basically saying if a person says, you know what? I don't care what Paul says about the length of my hair. Paul's saying if you're looking for someone to be on your side in that thinking, I will tell you this, that the apostles in the church will not take up a sympathetic ear to you. Basically is what he's saying. Okay. The word contentious, you know what that is? Argumentative. Divisive. Them kind of people. If someone says, you know what, he's teaching on the length of the hair on a man and a woman, I just can't understand. It's that Southern Baptist dogma. I bet he doesn't want people swimming together and yada, 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 yada. And what's the point? Okay, the Bible doesn't teach who you swim with. Okay? The Bible does teach that by design there's a distinctiveness between a man and a, and a woman. And he says, there is a universal agreement of the apostles and there's a universal agreement of the church. What is that? We have no other practice. What? We have no other practice. No such practice is the best translation. We have no such practice. What does that mean? We have no such practice that man should have hair longer than a woman. We have no such practice that a woman should have hair shorter than a man. Why? It is a sign of rebellion. It is a sign of saying, God's design, I don't like it. And he started out God's design saying, Christ was submitted to God. Had he not been been, you would not be redeemed. Would you reject that? Pretty straightforward, really. If think about it. Early church art, statues and stuff like that. Uh, men had short hair, women had Long hair. Okay? We always see pictures of Jesus. Ain't him. I know for a fact. Why? He would have Roman haircut. Why? He did not stand out in public. I've seen statue head busts of, uh, what was that guy's name? Julius Caesar. Not the orange Julius one. The other guy. Okay? And he had short hair. God wants it... He, he wants his design to be accommodated. He wants his design to be seen in society. Okay? The, the kind of people who we are is the way God designed us to be. Okay? Listen, anybody here believe that God can change? No, God can't change. His principles are forever and always, right? All right? I mean, he has principles. Let me give you a verse, okay, that I think kind of says it all, all right? It comes out of the second law. It's called Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 22, verse 5. Here's what it says, okay? A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination To the Lord your God. You know what that means? It's universal. If a person can't understand the submission of a woman to a man, what are we doing? Listen, if we understand these roles that a woman is to be submitted to a man, maybe... We can grasp that they are to be submitted to the church because the church is submitted to Christ. And maybe they would understand that Christ is submitted to God. If you mess with the design, you have to mess with all of it. Okay? Very practical, isn't it? Very universal. God is unchanging. There's a distinction. Men, women. Okay? We're not independent. We're not independent. We work together. Wondrously together. It's amazing, actually. But the roles are different. There is a role of submission. And there's a role of authority. Did you know that that exists in the bride of Christ today? The church. People ask me, why do you, why do you talk to people about church membership? It's God's design. Why? When a person joins a church, okay, I don't know what any other churches are, but here's, when you join this church, you are coming through, you look at our our paperwork that says this is what we believe and teach. You acknowledge that and say that's what it is and you say I am willing to come under the authority of this church. Why? Because God designed this weird structure thing that exists everywhere I go. It's the... Structure of authority and submission. Why? Because that's the way he wanted it. And you know what? It works really cool. But see how it... it, This basic design impacts everything that is about you. Basic design. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of every woman. And God is the head of Christ. So if I try to do church in my own picture, my own way, what did you just say? You just started a fight. Why? You just raised up and said your design isn't that good. So when you read this text here that I just we just went through and someone says, "Well, that was cultural" Ask one question. Christ submitted to God. Is that cultural? Nah. Uh -uh. Maintain our uniqueness. Why? God said, I made it that way. Let's pray. Father, we give you the praise for this time. Give you praise for your word. Lord, uh, wow, how cool. Lord, let us bow. Let us not be contentious. Let us not be those who cause factions. Father, let us be men and women, brothers and sisters who draw to your face, who draw to your strength, who draw to your purposes. Who, Father, who lay our hearts upon your altar to be molded and conformed into your image and your image alone, your design thank you we praise you for this time praise you for your precious bride your church her submission unto her savior her groom father the submitted women in this church father the men taking up their responsibilities father bring us more bring us more to your praise and glory in christ's name amen